Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by BSO and ABF Creative and is scheduled for one fall. And on the mic, we have the one and only Robert Latow. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They trying to take the wave from your boy. Messing with your boy, better pray for your boy. It's Robert Latow. Keep that same energy podcast. Let's get to the opening bell. So you want to know, why did Paul Pierce really get fired from ESPN? Was it just the IG live strippers? Of course not. It's always a little bit deeper than what meets the eye. If you didn't know, I'm going to assume you, you do know. We just briefly go over exactly the timeline of what happened. Paul Pierce, likely NBA Hall of Famer, NBA champion with the Boston Celtics, solid all-star NBA career, has been working with ESPN for what, about four years now? You know, he's an analyst, he gives takes, been on NBA Countdown, The Jump, etc., etc. He basically does the NBA coverage as the quote-unquote player perspective. So Paul Pierce, who's an avid poker player, by the way, he was in the World Series of Poker a few times, I believe, uh, went on IG Live in the middle of the night. I was asleep uh, when this was happening. I didn't see it until like the next day. But he went on IG Live in the middle of the night, late night. It was late night for most people because Paul is out here on the West Coast. So for people in the East Coast, and it was on the weekends, it's 3 in the morning. 2, 3 in the morning. So it wasn't a lot of people on the IG Live. About 300. 300 on the IG Live. Which is kind of sad for an NBA player, but hey, I mean, an ex-NBA player, but still, it was in the middle of the night. And and Paul was playing poker, uh, smoking a little weed, which is legal in California, uh, taking some shots, shot, shot, shots, and he had a bunch of scantily clad uh, women in the back twerking, rubbing his shoulders, you know, doing what scantily clad women do. Uh, when they're invited to uh, a house party. And, you know, he was just living his quote-unquote best life. And, of course, you know how social media is. Someone saw it on Instagram, screen recorded it, brought it over to Twitter, goes viral. The jokes start flying. And that's really all they were. They were jokes. There's always a couple of people that take it too far, and I'll get to that in a minute as to why Paul Pierce was actually fired. And most people thought that would be the end of it. You know, he wasn't doing anything illegal. appears he was doing it on his own property. Uh, All the women were of age, did not seem to have an issue with uh, their jobs, what they were paid to do. Uh, Like I said, the weed is uh, illegal. 
Uh, drinking is not illegal in your own home. No drinking drive. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't like he was representing quote unquote ESPN at that particular time. So then I guess Monday comes around. Bam. He gets fired. He gets let go. I'm like, that's interesting considering ESPN has, you know, racist that they tried to promote on their network. I mean, nobody fired Sage still for saying on her off hours that black people were the real racist. To me, that's that's more damning than Paul Pierce getting his rocks off uh, while playing poker in his own house. But they parted ways, quote, unquote. Now, as you know, I got bowls all over the place. I got some moles at ESPN. So I'm like, you know, what's the real deal here? What's, what's really going on? Because I feel like if this happened four years ago, this would be a big deal. It's something to laugh at. He might get, you know, might go in the office and they say, hey, man, you know, let's try not to put that on live if you don't mind. And then that'll be the end of it and people will move on. But they let him go this time. So I asked him, I said, what's going on? This, this seems a little unusual. And here's what I was told from someone that would be in the know at ESPN. And as you know, I don't tell you guys stuff that I don't feel is, is truthful or is a good source. I just don't just be randomly saying stuff. These are high up people that are, you know, Telling me things, you know, off the record in the sense that I can't, you know, attach any names to it. But it's okay for me to, you know, I ask them, I say, hey, I don't talk about it on the podcast. I'm not going to say they don't know who I'm talking to. And that's fine. I say, Go ahead, Roger. No big deal. That's what I heard. The first thing is this, is that there are people within ESPN that didn't want Paul Pierce back this NBA season. Or, you know, before the pandemic, there was a faction of people at ESPN that just didn't think Paul Pierce was really good at his job and didn't want him around and figured they can use the $1.5 million that he was getting paid for, you know, allocate those sources a little better. There was a faction of that. But there was also another faction at ESPN that felt that the fact that Paul Pierce wasn't good at his job and that he always messed up and was saying crazy stuff was a good reason to keep him around. You know why? Just just think about this very clearly. When have you seen NBA Countdown go viral? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, when have you really seen it go viral? The only time, especially pre-pandemic, NBA Countdown would go viral was when Paul Pierce said something crazy. Or they was making fun of Paul Pierce. You know, just recently, Paul Pierce didn't even know, I forget what team, I think it was the Sixers. He thought the Sixers had lost the game and they really had won by 35. That went viral. Now, what you need to understand about that is like, why would people within a sports company, you know, want to keep somebody that's, you know, bad at their job? Well, they don't care about if he's bad at his job. They care about engagement. They care about uh, eyes um, on the, the site and on the TV shows and the videos and the YouTubes and stuff like that. 
I give you an example of what I mean by that uh, using DMX. Uh, um, hopefully DMX recovers. Big fan of DMX. I mean, I don't think, unless you were in, you know, around that era, then you really realize how big DMX was. But if you saw it, there was a New York Post article, right? And they tweeted that the article was like uh, the five houses or five mansions that uh, DMX is on and lost, you know, foreclosure and things like that. You know, obviously in bad taste, right? But the New York Post doesn't care if it's in bad taste or not. So what ends up happening is, is prominent people take that post, right? They, instead of just ignoring it or talking about it without putting the link in and stuff like that, what they do is they quote tweet it or they reply underneath it, something that leaves the link live. And they say what they got to say. This is disgusting. This is in poor taste. The man is fighting for his life. Why would you post something like this? And that particular tweet or post gets thousands of likes, thousands of retweets. But what ends up happening is, is if that popular prominent person on social media on Twitter doesn't ever quote retweet it, there's literally hundreds of thousands of people that would have never seen the article. So just as a scientific experiment, I was like, I saw somebody retweeted or someone quote tweeted. The quote tweet has something like 30,000 likes, 10,000 retweets, 10,000 replies, some insane engagement number, right? And it was all, you know, they were all trashing the New York Post. So I decided to go and look on the New York Post website because they normally post like their top five stories. And with the page views, or how many people have, have, have watched it. I go to look, the story about DMX in the houses, number three. So, you think that you're doing something by, you know, calling people out on their bad takes and all this stuff. But all you're doing is just helping the engagement. Skip Bayless does this all the time. Skip Bayless says these things, gets the engagement tells people to watch the show where he said he repeats the same thing. It's just, it's, it's obvious. It's the whole little Nas X situation. This is a kid that was looking at a, being a one hit wonder, right? Looking at being a young MC, right? Looking at somebody that's just known for, for one song, one major massive song. So what does he do? What does he do? He says, you know something, making regular music, people are not going to react to that. People are going to be like, that's the cowboy guy. There's only so many ways you can remix Old Town Road. And granted, you could have lived off the one song for life. But, you know, if you want to be a relevant artist for a long period of time, you got to have better, you know, you got to have more than one song. But just doing regular music wasn't working for him. So what do you do? You, you, you lap dance the devil. You come out with Satan's shoes. You know, now you're on... CNN, you're on Fox News, you're on TMZ, you're global now, people are talking to Daily Mail, you're not just local anymore, you're not just Old Town Road, so what do people, people say, oh, I hate this, I hate that, but that's a lie, the things that people say they hate the most, they read, um, listen to, watch the most, so yeah, they went and watched the video, I know I did, 
There's no way I'd be listening to a Little Nas X song if it wasn't something weird going on. So people like the video, you gotta watch the video. He's lap dancing the devil. So of course I gave him a, a, a view on YouTube, something that he I had never, had never did before. Right? People say they hate the stuff. I remember I when they lied about me doing the 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 Bronny James story. They put it all on me. Said I said Bronny, you know they you know because that's another you know social media manipulation is is a, a real thing. So you know all of a sudden the story where I was debunking a rumor. I became the one that started the rumor because that's just how it works. But I hate BSO. We got to cancel them. Da da da. We smoking the BSO pack. The story had quarter of a million views before I respectfully took it down for Savannah. So people love what they say they hate. And so there's a faction going back to Paul Pierce where they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not very good. He gives terrible takes, but people react to it. And that's really all that matters. And that's why Paul Pierce still had a job at ESPN. But this is what happened. Once the IG live strippers come out, the people that already wanted Paul Pierce out of there, they started talking more. See, we told you he's not good for the brand etc etc he's not good at his job it's not a good look their voices became louder about trying to get Paul Pierce you know out of here but once again that was not the final straw from what I've been told two things happened the first was if Paul Pierce would not have did the live himself he would have been okay meaning if his boy did the live and he just was in it, just from a legal standpoint, it would be harder to get rid of him with cause. Because that's like if I'm, you know, I'm just sitting around at a bank robbery. I'm not responsible for the people robbing the bank. So if I go over to somebody's house to play poker and they happen to have strippers there and that person decides to go live on their personal account and I just happen to be there, you can't blame me, you know, for that. I can't control what other people do, and, and also you can't control, you know, where I'm going in private, you know, when I'm not working. He would have been fine there. But the straw that broke the Paul Pierce back was this. It was, it started with one comment. One comment. The comment was, where is Rachel Nichols? And with that one comment, that caused her to be trending. That was the straw that broke the Paul Pierce back. Because, you know, with the woman empowerment and all of the stuff they got going on, let's just say there were people saying that it would be hypocritical of them to keep Paul Pierce, because regardless of what you're morally, what you think, some people were saying that, you know, that's what he was doing was misogynist and all this. Like I said, that's, that's your own personal opinion about strippers and poker and all of that stuff. But I'm just saying that was the conversations that was going on is that would ESPN be hypocritical keeping a, a male analyst on the shows where at times, there's predominantly women host or women analyst as well. 
and how would that look and be perceived? They were getting some pressure from the Clay Travises of the world, the MAGA side of the world. You know, you, you say you can't do this, but you let Paul Pierce do that. Um, there were, let's just say there was some other uh, other people on staff of ESPN that weren't happy uh, about it. Female people on staff that felt it was kind of a slap in the face for them that it promoted this, you know, you know, locker room misogynistic mentality of athletes and men and you know let's just say they expressed their feelings to their managers or their higher ups or the people they report to and all of that gets sent back you know to ESPN now you know in the parting of ways there's maybe a little bit of nah, they didn't want to tell me I'm like, well, is he still getting paid like he had a contract, so are they paying him to just to leave? I couldn't get a real answer on that, which makes me believe he's still getting paid. Because it's very hard to fire somebody for doing something not illegal in their own house. Like there's a moral clause, like in contracts, but the moral clause is more like for illegal activities. <laughs> You know, if you or you know you do something like illegally wrong or sexually harass someone or something like that, like he Paul Pierce didn't do any of that. He just was like I said, there's nothing illegal going on, regardless of how you feel from a morality standpoint, what he was doing. He wasn't doing anything illegal. So it's my understanding, you know, kind of being told without being told is that they said, you know something, we're just gonna put you on the shelf. Uh, but you still get your checks until whatever his, you know, or maybe it's a buyout or something. Probably, you know, it could be a lot of different things. That's why Paul Pierce was smiling, you know, because first off, he's already rich. He was an NBA player. There's no, um, there's no evidence that he blew all his money or anything like that. So basically, that's what happened. You know, I don't want to quote unquote say white women got him fired, but let's just say there were people within the company um, that spoke out strongly about how ESPN can be hypocritical in these type of things. Like I said, which I also find ironic because, you know, ESPN will say these things about Black History Month and, and all of this stuff about black people and they got the undefeated, but then they, you know, try to promote racists and give them, you know, half million dollar, million dollar contracts. So I think that's hypocritical, but as we know, racism is low on the totem pole. Uh, with certain things. So yeah, that that that's what happened. That's what happened. So I mean, it, like I said, three, two, three, four years ago, probably not even a big deal. Uh, you can go out and see who were some of the ESPN people that were talking. But, you know, the fact that it had women who work for ESPN trending, that, that was... That would the, the Paul Pierce supporters in the building, and they're not wasn't the strongest supporters. They 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 couldn't wasn't much they could push back on, and that's why you know he he had to go. So that's the true story. 
the one that you know you won't see on social media. I feel like I say this every week. The social media is not real. Instagram is not real. TikTok, Snapchat is not real. It's not a real representation, A, of society, B, of people, and C, of looks. It's fake. It's filtered. It's Photoshop. That's just the way things are. You can literally, in 2021, create your body. That's what Khloe Kardashian did. That's what all the Kardashians, you know, do. You know, Kim Kardashian was not a bad-looking woman to start, right? <laughs> to start. The rest, n- not so much. So... You know, when Kim Kim did her things, it, it elevated her. But then it got to the point where they just, they, they look like totally different people. You know, Kylie and, and Chloe and Courtney. You know, Kendall decided not to get no ass. But all of the pictures are not, are not real. So we bring this up because Chloe had a picture, an unedited picture uploaded accidentally by a grandmother or something like that while they were out at the pool or whatever, right? Her created body looks fine. It's still created, but just like anything else that you continue to knife up and you have a baby, it's going to have some, you know, some flaws. I mean, that's that's normal. It's not, normal people don't look like what you see on Instagram. <laughs> Instead of just leaving it be, because considering what Chloe used to look like, this was a vast improvement. She had the Kardashian lawyers start threatening people and taking people's Twitter accounts down and Instagram accounts down and threatening the sue websites over this one unedited picture, right? Now, this is the same woman that has a company that supposedly, uh, you know, supports, you know, body positivity. They had a reality show called Revenge Body you know, where you work out, quote unquote, you know, to show your ex that you, you know, you're in better shape and all this stuff. So, I mean, the whole thing is fake. The whole thing is fake. Now, we all know, or you should know, that money and fame does not stop insecurity and sensitivity. I mean, we know that, that Chloe is, is insecure. You have to be. Every guy that ever she's ever been with is cheated on her. She's back with a guy that cheated on her while she was nine months pregnant and with her, be- her sister's best friend. And she feels that's the best that she can do. I mean, so we already know that she got like mental health issues, right? But it's it, but she went on you know Twitter and, and, and wrote a, an essay about how people called her the ugly Kardashian and OJ was a dad and all, all, all this stuff. Like, listen, Listen, all of that could be true, but this is what you've decided to do. Your brand, the Kardashian brand, is built off fakeness. The fact that every single picture, even if it's you know in your in your bathroom or so, it gets professionally edited by you know you're spending sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year just on editing 
a selfie. I'm not talking about like putting one filter on, like the the standard Snapchat. I'm talking about you were getting it. You, I mean, you got professional people who went to college in graphic design and stuff like that, editing your photos. And then you go, then you're pathetic. You go on IG Live. You're standing in the back. You're sucking in your stomach. You can barely breathe. It's all blurry and stuff to prove that, you know, your body is quote-unquote real. Like, come on, man. Like, just be happy with your created body. It's not natural. You paid for it. It's yours. That's fine. That's fine. The problem, unfortunately, is that for most people, maybe for young people, maybe old people too, is that you, it gives them a false sense of of what they should look like. You know, if you're a teenager or a young adult and you, you see this and you don't look like that and you don't have the means to pay for the body you want or filter out everything that you want to look like, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. If you go to everybody's uh, Instagram Explorers page, you're seeing the 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 best of the best, right? But that's not reality. Reality is what you see at the grocery store, what you see at the airport, what you see at the post office, what you see while you're walking your dog. That's what normal people look like. And that's fine. Right? But it's you have to normalize that being normal is okay. Now everybody has this I want to I want somebody that looks like this. It's all visual. It's all, there's no substance. You ever wonder why women on Instagram can have 5 million followers, but then on Twitter, they only have like 100,000? It's because nobody wants to hear them talk. Nobody wants to hear their opinion on anything. So want the pictures and the videos. We don't need your, they don't want to hear what you got to say about worldviews, politics. They want the pictures. It's truly pathetic, honestly. I mean, it's pathetic. You know, money helps a lot of things in life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not all that. I'm not all into that. You know, money is the root of all evil and all of that stuff. Like, it can corrupt you in some ways, and it can be a problem. But most people would prefer to have it than not have it. What money doesn't change is your mental health, how you feel about yourself internally, because you can't buy, you know, self-esteem. Because deep, deep, deep down in, you know who you are, what you are. So you can have a billion dollars, but if you got low self-esteem, ain't nothing going to change that. You can be the most beautifulest, shout out to Keith Murray, girl in the world, and, and still hate yourself when you look in the mirror. It's just, we've seen that. It's just, it's just, it's just really sad. It's sad. It's sad that someone that has that type of money, that type of fame, feels the need in the middle of the night to get on live and thong in the back, suck it in her stomach to where, you know, she's basically ready to pass out just for the, I guess, the, the, the cosign of nobody's. <laughs> That that that's sad. Speaking of sad, 
we have Lars uh, Pippen. I mean, you know, you know the, the whole stereotype about athletes not being smart, I mean, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. In Malik Beasley's case, it is true. <laughs> okay? And I want to make something perfectly clear. Malik Beasley wasn't happy in his marriage. I, you know, go ahead, get your divorce, right? Do what you got to do. It's just the way that you did it just is so stupid. Like, why, if you're going to leave, you're going to leave for Lars or Pippen, a woman that's old enough to be your mother, someone who's notorious for jumping in and out of relationships with younger guys. You're out there, you're looking like a fool. You're out there taking, you know, all hugged up pictures and stuff. And then she just dumps you for the, the, the newest guy. She barely stayed with you for like three months. And it's time you kick your wife and kid out the house during the holidays at that? Come on, man. How stupid can you be? You deserve whatever happens to you in divorce court. You know, normally I'm not about, you know, somebody getting robbed of their hard-earned money. But when you, you're so stupid, it's almost like you got to be taught a lesson. And I bet you he tries to come back to his, his, his wife, Montana Yao. I bet you he does. We'll see what happens. Lords of Pippin. Just cheating on Scotty left and right. Still hasn't gotten a divorce. It's a very strange thing. Obviously, she wants to be out thotting. Thotty Pippin. But she won't finalize the divorce. Like, why is that? It's just weird. If she feel like she's going to be thotting, she maybe got another five years in and then they get back together again. Very strange times. Malik B, like, I don't do donkey of the day and all of that stuff, but my man, you're an idiot. The Injustice League. The Deshaun Watson case is in full swing. It really should be called the Rusty Harden versus Tony Busby case because it seems to be more about the lawyers than it is the accusers or Watson. I mean, I think by now you have a pretty good understanding about what's going on, right? I mean, you know, we talked about this, I believe, last week with the uh, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin trial. Like, sometimes you go, you, it's a lot of documents, it's a lot of proceedings, it's a lot of statements and evidence and conflicting reports and she, he said she said but in reality if you're just someone with some common sense you can see what's happening you can see what's going on you can see the divider of innocence and guilt and with Deshaun Watson it's 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 very clear to me it's a very clear Clear line. Really nothing to argue about. Nothing to get into these philosophical debates on social media about. It's 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 so clear to me. And then it, it comes down to once you know where the clear divider line is. Just about who you believe. And even then, I think a rational person could see both sides of the situation. You can actually see a side where both parties, the women and Watson, are telling the truth. 
Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Because maybe you you don't really understand what I'm saying here. It's clear that Deshaun Watson sought out attractive women on social media and other avenues and other ways to give him massages that he really didn't need, right? This was his way of meeting women, hooking up with women, however you want to call it. That part is pretty obvious. You know, no NFL player needs 50-plus IG models giving them massages, right? You don't fly out, if you're an NFL player, you don't fly out an unlicensed massage therapist from Atlanta to Houston to just give you a 90-minute massage. Like, you have to use your common sense, that you, you know what that's for. You you know. Now, I'm just speaking of, first I'm speaking of Deshaun Watson and, and I get to the, the, the accusers in a second. He, he knew what he was doing. He's like, let me see your Instagram page. I want you to wear this hoochie mama outfit. That's what he was doing. He liked to get massages from attractive women or who he deemed attractive women on Instagram and let's let's just be frank sometimes they probably were just regular old massages you know the the young ladies well let me I get to the young ladies in a minute but sometimes they were just regular old massages other times you know things got say a little inappropriate in the sense of or uncomfortable you know, his penis touching a hand, him asking for fingers in the anus, oil in the anus. Sometimes that happened. Other times, it went to another level. Hand jobs, him masturbating on the massage therapist, and oral sex. And probably, in some instances, actual sex. This is common senses this is what happened over the past two years the 50 ladies plus there were some no issues others stuff happened now Deshaun Watson's people are saying he never forced coerced intimidated anybody into doing anything they didn't want to do meaning that if they did it they wanted to do it which leads me to, once again, it's clear divide, leads me to the ladies, right? So you have accusers that saying they felt uncomfortable or that Sean Watson took advantage of them. And once again, it seems very clear, you know, what happened. Once again, there was some that probably was just regular massages. No big deal. There was others that had no problem when he said, stroke my penis. Had no issues with it. There was others that likely thought it was a little odd. Thought it was a little weird or a little uncomfortable. Maybe didn't verbalize it. Maybe they did verbalize it. And went about their way. There was others, and this is probably the most serious part, 
that had actual sexual encounters with Watson during the massages. And that part is a very, I think, major part of who, what you believe. Because Watson is saying that I didn't force anybody to give me oral sex during the massage. They willingly did it for me. I asked. I suggested. They didn't have an issue with it. They didn't say no. They didn't tell me to stop. And so I don't have any culpability with that. The ones that did tell me they were uncomfortable or they didn't want me to do that or they didn't want to put fingers in the anus. That was cool. They told me they didn't want to do it. I left the situation. So that's where you're at. So once you have that clear understanding of what's happening, that there are a portion of these either unlicensed or licensed massage therapists that some weird stuff was happening. And then some actual sexual encounters was happening. The, the, the main crux of if Watson is guilty and not guilty. This has nothing to do with him being creepy. has nothing to do with him being a cheater. Because those things have been established. <laughs> you know, those things have been established. It's a little weird. It's a little creepy that someone is just on Instagram and has no problem with in a in a doing a coronavirus doing a pandemic finding a random person uh to give them a massage and has in happy endings like that's that's a little creepy it's flying people out just for that it's a little creepy as far as guilt and innocence though you may think it's creepy you may think it's a little sick you may think it's predatory but the, the main thing you have to determine is when it was happening, when it was happening, was it consensual? Was it something that happened and they were cool with it? They didn't have an issue with it. It's a very, very that's the divide. It's the fine line in the sense of this. If you do something in life and immediately it disgust, you know, you're disgusted by it, what is the culpability of the person that you were doing it with? Meaning this. This an example off of one of the many lawsuits. One of the lawsuits said the woman was scared and fearful of what Deshaun Watson could do to her business, et cetera, et cetera. So she went ahead and gave him oral sex. And immediately afterwards, she felt bad about it. Another one says he just came on right in her, you know, in her face. Right? And she was disgusted by it and, and, and but continued with the massage. Where is the culpability in that? Is it from a legal perspective? Not a personal perspective, because I think from a personal perspective, we can agree 
that what Watson was doing was a little a little out there. From a legal perspective, though, what does that make you feel? Do you feel that this is sexual assault? Or, you know, just inappropriate behavior? It's fairly clear that from just the little evidence that we were given from Tony Busby that he Watson had a reputation of maybe pushing the boundaries of his massages. That's once again, that's clear. But once again, it is at what point are we going into criminal and enough for the civil? I think there's enough, honestly, for the civil. The civil was just, you know, 5149. I think there's definitely enough smoke there that one can reasonably say that out of these 22 women, at least one of them, or two or three of them, the stories are, you know, cross the line where you're like, okay, that that's believable. Criminal, it's a totally different ball game. I mean, you have to prove that he, you know, forced you to do something against your will. So we have to see how that works out with the criminal thing. Now, also, you have the situation of should you come out publicly and, and name the accusers? The problem with that is that so if you're being accused, you kind of do want to know who's accusing you. But it seems to me with the dates, the text messages, et cetera, et cetera, that Watson and his team have a good idea of, of who was accusing them. But if they don't, that just lets you know that he was getting way, way too many massages. If he can't, you know, on a, two, a random Tuesday on March, whatever, or June, whatever, he don't have no recollection uh, because he just done so many. That's that's a kind of a red flag in and of itself. Like I said, normally I think you know, accuse the, the reason that accusers don't go out publicly is you you see what happened to the one girl who talked about her experience with Watson. You know, the lawyer first off said she wanted a hundred thousand dollars and the silence hush money. They found her social media pages. They left terrible comments, a business page. They left terrible reviews. So, I mean, there's a reason that Watson lawyers want the accusers' names out there because they want them to be harassed, harassed into possibly not filing the lawsuit or dropping off the lawsuit. I mean, it's a dirty game. It's a dirty game when lives are at stake. So it's, it's a dirty game. I said it just all depends on if you feel that even though Watson was doing creepy behavior in massages, that those creepy behaviors were consensual behaviors. And if you believe that they were consensual behaviors, like I said, then that's that's different than thinking that, you know, he forced women to do certain things that they didn't want to do. But then, like I said, it's also that gray area where he may not feel like he's forcing them because they're doing it, but in their mind, they feel like they don't have a choice. It's a, it's very, it's a very nuanced 
conversation. It's a very nuanced conversation. But the fact that you know that he was doing freaky deaky stuff with these girls that he just met off Instagram, that a lot of them wasn't even licensed to even give massages, gives their story some credibility. It does give it some weight. We have to see how it plays out. Like I said, this is high. This is better than, you know, law and order. This is some high, some high stakes, big time lawyering. I'm interested to see which way it goes. Keep the same energy. Listen to me clearly when I say this. You got to stop listening to people like Charles Barkley about race relations. Easy way to know if your race take is a good or bad one. It's just to see who's co-signing. If you give a race relations take and the only people that are co-signing it are white people, that should let you know that it's not a good take. It's a terrible take. You know, Charles Barkley was doing the, the final four. I don't even know what the context of this was. Probably, I think it was the Georgia voting stuff that's going on. And he said that he believes that most black people and white people are great people and that politicians want us to, to hate each other to make the divide so they can keep all the money, Democrats and Republicans, right? Now, the thing about it is, and people get mad about this because, you know, I, I say things that other people are scared to say. There, there, there is some truth into what he's saying, right? It, there's truth in it. I, I do think politics are made to divide and conquer. Alas, though, I think they're made to just divide black people so white people can conquer. I don't think they, politics are for to make white people hate black people and make black people hate white people. No, I think that they're made to keep black people down so white people can stay in power. Furthermore, the word hate is an interesting uh, word as far as, you know, why black black people hate white people? Why white people hate black people? Why do we have this uh, divide between the races? Well, here's the thing about that. Charles Barkley made it seem like it was an equal, like share. Like in America, black and white people are on equal ground, and because we're on equal ground, you know the politicians try to divide us and and, and keep us, you know, hating each other. See, that's a problem with trying to play both sides is when the sides are uneven, when they're tilted, you, you can't you can't say, you know, the majority of white people are great, the majority of black people are great, because it's not an, an even system. Understand? It's not an even system in the sense that you say to yourself, this is logic. This, like I said, the common senses. This is logic. You know, why would a white person hate a black person? Right. When you think about that, just from a logical standpoint, you realize that when white people hate black people, it's normally just because they're black. And there's no real other reason. It's just because they're black and they, they feel that black people are inferior. They, they don't like black people. They wish white people would everybody in power was white. They don't like black people talking about racism. They don't like us protesting about stuff that's going on. They just don't like us because we're black. 
That that's that's the reason. Just the color of our skin, and it's been like that for centuries because they brought us over here as slaves, people basically to work for them. They beat us, they shot us, they raped us. I mean, that's why they don't like us. I ask a, just a, a white person that, why don't you like black people? And just listen to the answer. It's all stereotypes and racism and they feel a superiority complex. I always say the poorest white person still feels he's better than the richest black person. That's all it is. That's where the hate comes from. It's just our skin. Just think about that. Now, on the flip side, why, do, why would a black person in this country hate a white person, right? You've never really... A, a, black people are not like just random haters in general, right? <laughs> like, we don't... You, you, you never see a black person just wake up and say, you know something? I hate Asians. I hate Jewish people. I hate, I hate Mexicans. Like it's really not our, and that's not our jam. It's not really why. The reason that black people hate white people or feel a certain way towards white people is because of the trauma that some white people have inflicted on us. All my neighbors uh, are white on my block. All of them. It's, uh, what is it, one, two, three, like six houses on my block. On just my street. Not the whole, like, where I live, just the street. And they're all white. They're all nice. They like Marcus. They ask about the baby all the time. We hang out every time. They offer me beers. We talk sports. You know, I don't know if any of them are MAGA. One of the guys in the Marines. You know, one of the families have a, a you know, a little girl. Um, also named Harper, like my daughter, get along great with all of them, right? And they're all white. All seem like nice enough people. But then I come in the house, and if I'm watching the George Floyd trial, I see this white cop on this black man's neck. This man's is is life draining from him, and I see this white man with a smirk on his face why he's doing it. Now imagine seeing that and then going outside and seeing somebody that looks like him. I'll be honest with you because one of the neighbors look just like him. It'd be difficult, right? It's the trauma. If you have trauma of a particular, you think, that's like asking the Jewish people like they got something against like Germans or Nazis. Of course they do. They had a trauma. So it's not, you know, the politicians trying to put us together. You know, I can understand that you may say the Democrats are not the end all be all. And maybe they do at their best. They still want to be empowered. They still have some white supremacy on their side, right? They're also not trying to put in Jim Crow laws <laughs> for voting. They're, they wasn't the ones that were storming the Capitol. They're not the ones that don't want to wear a mask. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it is definitely the lesser of two evils. That's not, it's not great, but it's the lesser of two evils. And it's, so it's dangerous when someone like Charles Barkley makes white people believe that they have no culpability in the trauma that they've caused black people, and that's the reason that they hate them. 
Now, I know there's good white people out there. Like I said, I, I talk to white people all the time. You know, I'm not going to do the whole, I got white friends and all of that stuff, but I'm just saying, I, I know that there's good white people. I can, first off, I can look at a protest and I can see that it's not just black people out there. There are white people that are like, you know, I'm sick of, you know, other white people making us look bad. I get that. Right? But it's not, we're not on an equal playing field, dog. And Charles Barkley don't know this because he's Republican and he's rich. And he, he has a white wife and white kids. He's basically like Hubert Davis. Like, that's weird. That, that stuff like that is weird to me. You know? It's weird to me. Like, somebody asked you, you know, what does it mean to be the first, you know, head, black head coach at, you know, a, a university as, as well known as North Carolina? And you give 50 seconds of very solid information, and at the end you say, I'm proud I got a white wife? Anything that makes black people feel. You, you never heard a, a, a white guy just randomly say, I'm proud of my black wife. Never heard of, hell, you know, it's, that's weird. That, that's very, it's just a strange thing to say, like a brain, like, what are you trying to say? Well, Nobody even knew your wife was, was white. Are you trying to say that we shouldn't celebrate the fact that you're black? And it's 2021 and it's the first time North Carolina's had a black coach? It's always that type of thing. It's like, yeah, we're trying to celebrate certain things, but you know, don't forget the whites. Are you not black because you had a white wife? Very sage stillian of him. Well, her white knight left her, divorced her, and took half her money. They don't want to talk about that, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that probably at another time. I appreciate you listening. Please follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online, Instagram, and YouTube, B-S-O-T-V. Big shout out to ABF Creative for helping put this podcast together. I'm out.